Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Aaron O'Toole says a conservative government would repeal the federal price on carbon. We will protect the environment and fight climate change, but we won't be doing that by making the poorest Canadians pay. The Auditor General finds the country's public health agency was unprepared for the pandemic. The emergency health plans um, had not been updated. More importantly, the federal, provincial and territorial response plan had not yet been tested. And staff of Liberal cabinet ministers will be told not to appear if called to testify before parliamentary committees. The opposition is uh, unanimous in its desire to get answers from decision makers and they are going to try to shame the Prime Minister to show up as best as they can. It's Friday, March 26th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. Joining us is CBC at issue panelist Althea Raj. Althea, thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Mark. So big news yesterday about the federal carbon tax, obviously, and already there has been an enormous amount of reaction and response to the Supreme Court decision. Uh, Let's talk about the federal side of it first. Uh, How do you think this frames this issue going forward, especially in a year when many expect there will be an election? Aaron O'Toole, the conservative leader, has said he believes climate change is real, of course. That's been much discussed in the last week. But uh, he's saying that a carbon tax is not the way to address climate change. So how do you see this issue playing out federally? Yeah, I'd say a few things on that. So what the Supreme Court did Thursday, which is really monumental, I think, when you when you really drill down to it, is that they read into the peace order and good government clause in the Constitution that uh, what the federal government, what Parliament was attempting to do with the minimum national standards on greenhouse uh, gas price stringency to reduce greenhouse gas emissions was a matter of national concern. And in the majority's writing of this decision, the Chief Justice repeats throughout um, that climate change is real. He actually uses those words, that it is an existential threat to human life, that uh, it is an existential challenge, and that because it fits uh, the uh, new test that the court has uh, determined. Uh, they've set out a number of reasons why this fits into a single, distinctive, indivisible issue that at the end of the day, because um, one province's decisions can impact uh, the others because the jurisdiction's gases don't know any any <laughs> provincial limits. Um, in this case, Parliament uh, is allowed to um, to interject. But um, I think it raises a number of issues. We saw Jonathan Wilkinson, the environment minister, pick up on the theme of climate change is real. It's an existential threat. The Supreme Court has uh, referenced this. And while he said he was trying to be nonpartisan, he clearly was being quite partisan and attacking the conservatives on this front. And I think that the Supreme Court's judgment really um, helps bolster the Liberals' argument uh, and that they will try to make this if there is a campaign. Um, if there isn't a campaign, I'm sure we'll hear it in question period, um, that the Conservatives are offside. You know, even the Supreme Court in Canada has settled this issue. Climate change is real and action is needed. Right. So Aaron O'Toole's first response, the Conservatives' first response was to say um, that in their mind, they're pressing forward, they are going to scrap uh, the, the carbon tax. And um, they didn't pick up, I think, on a theme that might actually help them in some of the places 
that they are seeking support. And we heard this from um, Jason Kenney, the premier in Alberta, and this was something the Quebec government had argued, and it's picked up in one of the dissents um, from Russell Brown, um, who, su- who suggests that the way the court has, has framed this issue could open the floodgates for Ottawa setting minimum national standards uh, on issues that impact the other provinces, like, for example, healthcare. Right. Um, and, and maybe this is something that might uh, end up perc- percolating elsewhere uh, throughout this debate in the future. All right, so that that's very interesting. And again, I think we can expect to see it surface uh, during a future election campaign, whenever that is. Um, but what about for the provinces that were challenging the federal carbon tax in court? What's next for them? What are we hearing from their premiers? We didn't hear much from Doug Ford. Um, his government, he sent out the environment minister, and it seemed to suggest that um, more news would be coming. Um Kenny had a long press conference, said that the, he was hoping that this was a one-time exception and that uh, Ottawa would bet out of <laughs> provincial jurisdiction. He basically said he wasn't sure what he was going to do. He was going to consult Albertans, he was going to consult um, other provinces to see what they would do. Um, and that uh, basically he also suggested that this might be now up to the people, democracy, uh, to decide what to do, possibly suggesting that maybe he's going to wait out, hoping that Aaron O'Toole uh, wins power in the next election and then scraps the carbon tax and he doesn't have to develop his own price or accept Ottawa's price and do, I mean, basically, uh, you know, in Alberta, when Jason Kenney was elected in 2019, this was his first move. His first piece of legislation was to scrap the previous NDP government's carbon tax. Um, in uh, Saskatchewan, next door, Premier Mo actually uh, came out and said rather quickly that uh, Saskatchewan will develop a Made in Saskatchewan plan, and it's going to resemble um, the plan that the federal government approved in New Brunswick. Um, he said that it would, uh, he promised that it would give an immediate rebate at the pumps uh, for the people of Saskatchewan. So uh, mm. two slightly different taxes, at least for now. Okay. All right. As if that wasn't big enough news, there was also an Auditor General's report yesterday, of course, and some very interesting findings, including uh, some some thoughts about uh, the need for an investigation into fraud around uh, double payments of the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Uh, but in particular, the fact that public health and border agencies were not prepared for an effective response early in the pandemic. So tell us more about that. Yeah, there was basically the, there were four reports uh, tabled yesterday. Two, as you mentioned, one dealing with the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, one dealing with the wage subsidy, um, and, and as you rightly said, uh, basically uh, Karen Hogan said the new um, Auditor General said there is potential for so much fraud, as much perhaps approximately $500 million in payments that were made to serve that shouldn't have been given to those people. And it's going to cost Ottawa a lot more money after the fact to try to recoup the money both from individuals and from businesses who uh, probably lied. And she said that, I think this is important to note, that Ottawa would have the chance, public servants had the chance to actually fix some of these problems. Um, and they chose not to. Like, they didn't ask for social insurance numbers for people whose wages uh, would be subsidized to check if there would be double dipping. Um, and they they had, they had did um, kind of help fix some of the problems. 
as the program was being rolled out. Um, but she said, yeah, she basically said, you know, this was definitely a blind spot that could have been aided. The other thing, as you noted, was um, she chastised the public health agency for failing to issue an alert about the seriousness of the virus. She talked about how woefully inadequate the public health agency was, um, how in some ways it had not acted on um, issues that had been flagged for more than two decades, that it didn't have the tools required to do the job. Um, it didn't have plans in terms of sharing of data with provinces and territories that had been finalized. Um, and uh, she does talk about how they did try to make the situation better as COVID-19 pandemic uh, rolled on, but it does paint a pretty scary picture. And the other report was about um, an infrastructure plan, the Investing in Canada plan, $188 billion infrastructure plan the Liberals announced. Basically, um, this is something that PBO has flagged before as well. She repeated it's way behind schedule um, and there's not enough public reporting from government departments to basically uh, inform us about how well the program is working. All right, finally, uh, let's talk a little bit about some uh, political back and forth that's been happening. Uh, the, the Conservatives have talked about uh, asking liberal staffers, uh, people who work for cabinet ministers, perhaps even the prime minister himself, to testify uh, before committees about issues like the We Charity controversy. Um, and the liberals have basically told the, the members of their teams not to go if they're called to testify. So what's going on here? Yeah, so there was an opposition day, uh, as they call them in parliamentary jargon, a supply day motion yesterday, and the Conservatives decided to use it um, to call for the production of documents that, um, well, to get documents that are in the Privy Council's office before the Ethics Committee, and to um, question three uh, senior-level staff around the, in the Prime Minister's office to appear. And there was a clause in the motion that said, well, if... These three individuals um, uh, don't come. Well, if the prime minister shows up for a minimum of three hours, then uh, this person may be excused from showing up. Um, and there was another, uh, a second part to that motion was, was about um, the circumstances around General Vance and the National Defense Committee study about um, national defense and sexual misconduct uh, there, uh, asking for the chief of staff, uh, Zita Stravis, to the national defense minister to show up. Um, basically, Pablo Rodriguez, who's a liberal house leader, said, whoa, whoa, like, this is not appropriate that you're bringing uh, staff in to testify. That being said, you know, Katie Telfer, the prime minister's chief of staff, did testify at the WE, regarding the WE charity back in August, if you recall. Um, and uh, we're not, we're not going to, we're going to tell people to forget the summons, uh, it, at best, the ministers will show up because ministers should be held accountable and not staff. So there's uh, definitely a possibility for more of a showdown. I will say that motion was voted last night. All the opposition parties agreed. Only liberals, of course, disagreed. So uh, the opposition is uh, unanimous in its desire to get answers from decision makers, and they are going to try to shame the prime minister to show up as best as they can. All right. We will see what happens. Althea, thank you very much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark. At CBC, at issue panelist Althea Raj. The Supreme Court ruling puts to debate as to whether or not we should act and, the, and whether or not the federal government can act on climate change behind us. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. 
In the Globe and Mail, Andrew Coyne argues, the biggest winner from the decision upholding the Federal Pollution Pricing Act could turn out to be Aaron O'Toole. Coyne writes, this ruling means the carbon tax is here to stay. There are no more courts left to appeal to. That takes a losing issue for the Conservatives off the table and frees O'Toole to fight on other grounds, more congenial to Conservative chances. More particularly, it frees him from his base. Rather than fight on, hopelessly, against a tax that is no longer even being collected federally, O'Toole can say to the diehards, take it up with your provincial government. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues the Conservatives should stop digging themselves deeper into a hole on climate change. The Star writes, Aaron O'Toole acknowledges climate change is a real problem and promises a plan to deal with it. But his party's own rank and file stuck a thumb in their leader's eye by refusing to include a statement that climate change is real in their official policy document. It's a lousy look for a party that wants to be taken seriously on such an important issue. They must turn this around if they want to be considered as serious contenders for power. In the National Observer, Gerald Cutney argues the Conservatives' climate denial makes them political dinosaurs. Cutney writes, Canada made a commitment to do something about climate change 30 years ago. Climate change has undergone the greatest scientific scrutiny in history. But despite that, the Conservatives became the first major political party, possibly anywhere, to officially vote against accepting that climate change is real. Where does the Conservative Party of Canada go from here? How can Canadians put their trust in a party that denies science? Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The House of Commons Ethics Committee will hold hearings today as opposition members continue their efforts to have more witnesses testify concerning the We Charity controversy. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, the committee will sit today at 1 p.m. and hear from the clerk of the committee, no doubt to discuss the next steps and the legal options open to the committee. Conservative members' latest attempt to keep the We Charity issue alive has seen them issuing requests for three senior staff members from the Prime Minister's office to appear before the committee. Opposition members say they want to question those staffers about who knew what and who spoke to whom regarding the now ill-fated attempt to give the Kilbergers Brothers charity a lucrative contract to administer hundreds of millions of dollars in student grants. The Liberals' House leader, Pablo Rodriguez, has said that the party will instruct the staffers not to appear, that the invitation from the committee constitutes intimidation, and that ministers are the ones who should take responsibility for government actions, not staffers. And, the Liberals argue, senior staffers, including the Prime Minister's own Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, have already appeared before the committee. The Conservative motion also suggests that if the Prime Minister were to appear before the committee himself, then the three staffers could skip their appearance. Don't hold your breath on either account. So, Mark, the strategizing and the maneuvering will continue at the Ethics Committee later today. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will virtually meet with nurses from Victoria General Hospital in Winnipeg. Minister of Families Ahmed Hussein will discuss government support for childcare in the Northwest Territories. Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibot will speak about investments under the Emergency Processing Fund to support Quebec food processors during the pandemic. And Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will make an announcement about recreational and sports infrastructure in Quebec's Mauricie region. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, March 26th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.